But first, what about house flipping? We've heard uh, two sides to this, uh, and the question comes up, is it really the best time to be slapping a tax on those people who flip houses, or has that time come and gone, or at least for now? It all starts with uh, David Eby promising that tax uh, house flippers, they will be taxed if he does win the B.C. NDP leadership race. And then there's the B.C. MLA from the Peace region, Mike Bernier, who is a guy who has flipped three homes in four years. And he says, you know what, if you bring in such a tax, it's really a scary thought. Here's what he happened to say on the Jazz Joe Hall show yesterday. I do find it uh, quite interesting uh, watching how the NDP are trying to demonize the fact that, you know, they'd far rather, I guess, see houses sit in disrepair with nobody living in them at all, uh, rather than somebody fixing them up. And then today to hear from David Eby that, uh, you know, he thinks that if somebody does take that risk, somebody does fix up a house, uh, that they should now be uh, uh, extra taxed for it. Well, there's no doubt about it. Housing affordability is still a real issue in this province. And uh, that comes at a time, though, when we're seeing a bit of a dip when it comes to actual housing prices. So bringing in a tax, uh, what are you going to tax? Can you even make money flipping a house these days? Or is uh, the time for this tax really not the best. Well, Carolyn Sinclair is a real estate agent with the Sutton Group. Uh, good morning, Carolyn. Good morning. i got to ask a question straight up. Uh, the timing, it seems to me, was probably good a couple of years ago. But uh, are we really in a market where house flipping is still a deal? It's actually almost impossible right now. Instead, we should be encouraging people to prepare for their own future. Who's going to take care of people? Most of my elderly clients have to sell in order to live out their lives because they don't have pensions. We need people to prepare housing for, for others. I prepare housing for others, and I support people that have a lower income. And yet, those those properties that I maintain will be my future. No, who, I have taken care of three neighbors that had no one in this world, and I did hospice, palliative, and elder care for free for them. They were not my tenants, but I went every morning, afternoon, evening, grocery shopped, and yet they had no one to look after them because they had no, nothing in the bank. If we think that we have to depend on government to take care of us, we have become confused. We no longer have huge families. Most people have one or two child children, and they don't live close. They can't take care of their parents. The market is definitely quiet. So there's been a boom. We already have a speculation tax. And we look at people that strive and work hard as if they're the enemy, where they provide businesses, employees, hardworking individuals that actually make our city and pay taxes. Flipping houses, we have taxes. If you multiply, multiple times flip houses, you're being taxed already. 
the NDP to come out and say we're going to slap a tax, it's already there. We all, or many of us in the Lower Mainland, already do an empty house tax, a speculation tax. We but what about affordability, Carolyn, uh, when it comes to uh, different forces that actually go into the market to raise prices, uh, flipping houses might be argued as one of those traditional ones that uh, will end up uh, making things less affordable. Is that you, not a concern, or is this just a time? You can't flip timing? houses now. If you buy a house for 500000 and you put 50000 into it, and then which is very minuscule, and then you pay commissions on that. In this market currently, you're lucky if you get out with a loss. You have to invest in properties, hold them for two to five years at least, and during that time, you better be renting them out. People can't sit around. I do agree that you can't sit around leaving viable real estate empty. But at the same time, Holiday properties and family time should be excluded. Okay. Well, Carolyn Sinclair, real estate agent with the Sutton Group. Carolyn, if I ask you this same question two years ago, would your answer be the same? I would say you should pay. You should pay if it's a business like a contractor does and did two years ago. Two years ago, contractors that bought flipped property paid taxes because it was a business. And it was taxed as such. If you're a during COVID and you move back in with your parents and you have two children and there's now six people living in a two-bedroom apartment, what is wrong with them fixing up an older property that's larger, moving into it, and selling the other one? That's hard work. Many, many immigrant families many of which have more children than the typical Canadian currently in, in our closed culture have, represent families of love that often care for their elders and their siblings and their cousins, and they work together to get larger properties, and they may have three generations. Are we supposed to penalize them because they've all come together to live in one larger house? that is definitely going to be over a million dollars. So are we going to call that a luxury tax? We're going after the wrong entities. If you're making income, put it on your income tax, pay your bill. But do not penalize the people that are going to create more jobs, more housing. And we should not be leaving old dilapidated properties. I went by one in East Vancouver yesterday. It's a dumping ground. There is mattresses, garbage, right off Kingsway. Um, we, we're not touching that property. It's empty. There was one in Kitsilano. It's empty. Nobody's flipping it. But it's, it's creating eyesore refuse and perhaps other, other collectors. There is no possible way, unless you're a very, very good contractor developer to constantly buy renovate and flip effectively 
Well, it's interesting because I am certainly no expert, but I do see the TV shows that uh, point out to me, this is entertainment television, but there are so many shows that have come up in recent years that show that you can make huge money flipping houses if you know how to do it the right way. Uh, There were people that were on late night TV 20, 30 years ago that used to preach this as a way to make fast, easy money. Uh, and the hotter the market, the more you're going to make. So are you saying that this never was a reality, or is it just right now that's not a reality? I would say on in certain areas of the, our greater, because I work from Vancouver to, to Chilliwack to even the Okanagan sometimes, lower-cost properties, which are dilapidated, can be fixed up at a risk to whoever does it, and then sold for a profit. But the profits that are seen on a lot of the television shows are in areas that houses are three hundred or five hundred thousand. That is not the case in the lower mainland. It's it's not the case in the Okanagan any longer. If you buy a property for a million dollars and try to flip it for one point four, your cost might be two hundred thousand. You put fifty thousand into it. Now the market does not sell houses instantly. And if you make a profit, if you make that seventy-five grand after a year, a lot of the people that I know that were doing that were hoping to make $100,000 over the course of a year. Well, $100,000 is an income that may be sounding really, really great, but they put their life savings into it. This is not the market to flip houses. The market has steadied, and we have to prepare for the long future. And as Bruce Claggett in for Mike Smith, we've been talking about house flipping, and the time for that may be dead. This comes at a time that BC NDP leadership hopeful, and more likely the next leader of the BC NDP and Premier David Eby, has said that he wants to bring in a tax on house flippers. And we've heard from the BC Liberals in the form of Mike Bernier, a man who has flipped three houses in four years, and he calls this just absolutely scary. Well, for her perspective, Carolyn Sinclair is a real estate agent with the Sutton Group. Carolyn, thanks for staying with us. Um, Most people really don't realize uh, the market now is so much different than it was a year ago, isn't it? Enormously different. It's a much steadier market. The prices are not evaluating Some are calling for a a 5% drop next year. It's going to be a steady, steady market. And we have to prepare for for people that don't have homes. And one way to prepare for, you know, we can't depend on low-cost housing. We've seen that. It hasn't happened fast enough. So if, if individuals buy investment properties and rent them out, they will have not only a pension in the future if they sell it when they're older, but we will have housing. A calculation is one-third of the average income is what rent should be. In our city, a lot of people pay a lot more. But if people had three investment properties, they'd give homes to three people, and they'd have a full pension when they retire. Okay, we do have some calls. Uh, Liz in Tawasson. 
Uh, Liz, what do you think uh, about David Eby's suggestion of taxing house flippers and this reality that Carolyn's talking about? We're already taxed. When we purchase a house, we pay a property transfer tax. So everyone who's going to flip a house already pays that tax. If they sell it, the buyer also pays the property transfer tax. So the government's already getting, and, and the property transfer tax is expensive. Government's already getting the funds. So why do they want another tax? I guess the question, uh, and Liz, you uh, raise a point that Carolyn's been talking about, too. I mean, there already is a tax in there. But the question probably comes down to when we have an affordability crisis, do we need an extra tax? Is it that uh, we want to go after those people who are profiting at the expense of some people who can't find affordable housing? Liz, uh, do do you have any feelings about that? No, we absolutely don't need any more taxes in this province. And where is that property transfer tax money going as it is? Carolyn, what do you I think don't... about uh, what Liz has to say? Liz is absolutely right. We're actually Each person that sells pays two taxes. They pay property purchase tax. They pay the, the new buyer buys the property purchase tax. And they also have to pay on their income tax uh, for the income, that's on the speculation tax. So there's actually taxed three times. Well, thank you, uh, Liz, for the call and uh, for She's the right. clarification, Carolyn, on on that. Uh, Wilson and Langley, what do you think? Okay, there, I'm just calling about, um, you're talking about the property transfer tax, which is fair, but no one talks about the realtor fees. So right. our property ta- transfer tax is, is one to two percent and the realtor fees are up around that cost too so homeowners are just lumping that into the sale price well we're talking about an extra tax uh one that would be introduced on top of all those um so this would be something brand new right uh carolyn is that the idea they're talking about another tax just like that that families that have had a sixth generation property on the lake should also pay a tax if they leave it empty and and don't let the grandchildren come there because they can't because it has to be rented out. We have gone too far in thinking that taxing is our solution. It isn't taxing. People will pay the property purchase tax. They will pay, as this very intelligent gentleman said, they have to pay the realtor fees. They also have to pay the, the income tax, and they also have to pay the speculation tax. Wilson, I appreciate the call. Uh, Just for time, we don't have a chance to get to all your phone calls, and there are quite a few of them. So a reminder, if you didn't have a chance to get in, you always have the buzz line. And we'll try to get to some of those phone calls later on in the show. The buzz line phone number is 604-331-2899. 604-331-2899. Plenty of interest in this topic, and we would love to hear some of your calls on that. My thanks to Carolyn Sinclair with the uh, Sutton Group, a real estate agent, and her thoughts on that. Thanks for joining us, Carolyn. And thank you, and I encourage everybody to vote. I've already voted. Go in with a cheat sheet and know what each person wants. And it's Bruce Claggett in for Mike Smith. You know, crime, violent crime, uh, crime that involves random attacks. It just seems like this has been on the increase, and that's despite so many calls for some sort of action. 
well, in the form of some sort of action. There is a new report out, and much of what's in the prolific offenders report reiterates what we already know. It comes down to a question of why do governments seem to lean so heavily on studies, panels, and committees, or is that research necessary and a step that has to be updated? It's just one of those things that we, uh, I I mean, I'm left scratching my head, especially when it comes to uh, an idea that a report can even uh, suggest more of a report or more study in the actual report that is commissioned. Well, Port Coquitlam Mayor Brad West has been talking about some of these issues for far too long, but uh, they continue to be a concern for him and for us. He's with us this morning. Good morning, Mayor. How are you? Very well, Bruce. Thank you for having me. Well, it's uh, it's my pleasure, but this is nothing new, is it? I mean, we continue to deal with the same problems we have been hearing about, mind you. They are getting worse. Uh, what's your feeling about uh, this new prolific offenders report that's out? Is this the direction we need to go, study? No. What we need is action. I think like a, a, many members of the public, I was incredibly frustrated. It just seems that uh, no matter the issue, and these issues are long-standing issues. There's not ones that all of a sudden cropped up and this is new and we don't know how to deal with it. These are long-standing issues. And governments of all stripes, the first order of business is, well, let's have a panel. Let's have a committee. Let's have a study. And inevitably, what happens is we waste six months, maybe a year, maybe longer. We get a report with recommendations that talk about things that everyone's already been talking about for years, such as with the prolific offender report, comes out with a whole bunch of recommendations around, uh, well, we need to increase mental health supports. And it's like, oh, thanks, Sherlock. (laughs) That one escaped us. We haven't been talking about that for how long? You know, so I I think it's really frustrating. I think people's patience for it is, is gone. Mine certainly is because... It becomes an excuse. It becomes a, a replacement for actually doing things. And I think for governments, it's a way to be seen as doing something that the public's concerned about without actually doing anything at all. And like, go through the list, Bruce. What have we had in the last little bit? We had the expert panel on housing supply and affordability. We've had panels on mental health, on opioids, on the old growth forest, on gas prices. There is a mobility pricing independent commission. I mean, goodness sakes, you add up all the cost, the expense, the time that is wasted on this stuff. And the issues we're no further ahead on. Well, so to it's your really point, frustrating. Yeah, to your point, Brad West, uh, it actually goes right to the language in the report. I always like to go right to the recommendations. Go to the table of contents, go down to the recommendations. And I'm going to read you this first one when we talk about studies. Because in the very first recommendation, the very first two sentences, well, let me read it first, and then I'll comment more and bring you in. It says, we recommend that the provincial government explore the creation, which means study and report back, explore the creation of a dedicated provincial committee focused on coordinating communication and service integration, planning between health, criminal justice and social services organizations. To your point again, duh, yes, this has been said before, but it also calls for 
more exploration. And then down in the next one, number 14 in uh, just a list, but number two in the actual recommendations. We recommend that the provincial services develop a clear guidance, develop a clear guidance document, which means report back to support decision-making when responding to violent offenses. This is calling for more reporting. And and Bruce, how is any of that going to help our people? What is any of that going to do to make people in our communities feel safer? What is any of that going to do to make sure that prolific offenders are not put back out on the street again and again and again and again to hurt more people? It will do nothing for any of that. And, and you know, and that's where it's just a, a real mess. And uh, again, I'll overuse the word uh, frustration, but I think people are sick and tired of it. You know, where's the action? We've been talking about this for so long. You know, there's a lot of talk, you know, I've heard in some of the public dialogue, you know, people say, well, you know, we got to make sure that we have, uh, treat people with compassion um, who are repeat offenders, who are dealing with a lot of issues. I get they're dealing with a lot of issues, but compassion is a two-way street, Bruce. And you can't let people who, yes, uh, are dealing with mental health challenges and drug addiction, you can't let those people uh, who themselves have probably been victimized to go and victimize other people. That's not compassion. That doesn't help anyone. So where is the Riverview-like facility of, of 2022 that can help people get the support that they need to get better. You know, where is the advocacy to the federal government to amend the criminal code to address the catch and release nature uh, of our justice system? You know, those are meaningful things. Those are actual actions that could be taken to make people safer, not committees, not studies, not reports, you know. And so uh, it's a real question of like priorities and political will. Get it done. I'm going to ask you to uh, guess and guess with me. What do you think is happening here when uh, you come out with a report like this? Was it just the scope of the uh, the report was wrong? Or do you think it's kind of a, um, you know, we don't want to come down too hard. We have to update maybe our thinking. We want the latest and best research on a ever-changing society. And that's why we go and study and study again. What's going on here? Well, I think part of it is just we have a problem with how governments run. Um, it, it, it is designed uh, to take forever to make decisions. And I think that's because a lot of politicians don't want to make a decision. Maybe they're afraid about, about being wrong or making the wrong decision. You know, like I've, I've always said, like in my city, we're going to make decisions. And you know what? We may make the wrong decision sometime. And when that happens, we will admit it, and we'll go back and we'll fix, we'll adjust. But our whole system seems to be based on keeping a lot of consultants employed. By the way, I want to make one observation. In all of these uh, expert panels and committees and studies, a lot of the same names, by the way, show up over and over again. So there's a good little employment program for some people who continually get tapped on the shoulder to produce reports for government saying that you should look at something more or study something more. Uh, so I, I, my own view, we've got a, a problem with the way government functions and is set up, and it is designed to have these long, meandering processes. 
I think, in the hopes that, you know, the public loses interest and their attention goes elsewhere. Okay, so top line, if we were to put away or put aside all this reports, things that we can actually take, and when I say we, I mean policymakers, can actually take to reduce some of the violent crimes and some of the prolific crimes that we're seeing. You mentioned Riverview. Um, is that the solution that we're still going for in 2022, or is there some other form of mental health? You've read a lot, so I'm going to, uh, and you've been looking into this for a long time as a mayor. Uh, what do you think? Uh, where do we want to go with mental health? Well, I think it's in all of the above, and it's understanding that not every person is dealing with the same issue. Um, first off, when someone needs treatment, when someone wants treatment, they need to be able to get treatment. They need to be able to access support. They don't need to be told that, okay, well, you know, it'll be a couple months if you're lucky, and then we'll try and get you into something. So, so that's number one. Uh, and there's people who can do that in a, com- in a community setting. Um, they can do that in a, you know, well-being in a community, well-being, you know, at their home, um, seeing the doctor. There are other people who are not able to do that. Uh, and that's what, where I do believe you need a, a modern version of a Riverview-like facility that should have never been closed, need to be updated, obviously brought into 2022 in terms of standards of care and all the rest of it. Uh, but the idea that it is it lacks compassion to have people in a place like that, uh, and it's better to have uh, folks on the street, I, I think is just lunacy. It's what we've been doing. It's not working. No one can tell me objectively that that's working. So it's an all of the above situation. And it's also, again, remembering what I said earlier, um, there has to be accountability and consequences as well. And that means uh, some amendments on the federal criminal code side of things so that it's not just, oh, oh, what, this is your 50th offense? Okay, no problem. Uh, a promise to appear, uh, you know, off you go, and and let's keep our fingers crossed that nothing happens because that is what uh, we do have in place right now. And again, the results speak for themselves. How many times, when you hear of an attack or someone being hurt, or any one of these things that we've been dealing with in the last little bit, is it quickly followed with, you know, and this is the tenth. 15th, 20th, 30th, 40th, 50th, even more interaction with the justice system. And Bruce Claggett in for Mike Smith. We're talking about all the new prolific uh, offenders report, and there is nothing more violating in that uh, feeling of being a victim of crime, whether it's property crime or some of these violent crimes that are random that we're hearing about. Our guest is Port Coquitlam Mayor Brad West. And we'd love to hear some of your thoughts on this. Have you been a victim of crime? Do you think uh, government reports are going to be the solution? Government commissioned reports. Give us a call, 604-280-9898. Mayor Brad West, it doesn't matter if you're in your community in Port Coquitlam or if you're in Kamloops. What are you hearing from your fellow mayors? Uh, What sort of action do they want to see? And uh, are they all finding this uh, to be a bit of a problem? Well, I think it's widespread. It's in uh, communities right across British Columbia. Uh, in some places, it's worse than others. Um, 
thankfully for us in Port Coquitlam, uh, although there's elements, it's nowhere near the issue we see in some communities. So it's a real challenge. I, I think that one of the parts mayors are frustrated with, with is we're on the front lines of dealing with it. So when something happens in this community, when uh, a resident is a victim of crime, um, I'll hear about it. Um, I might even know the person, um, and I'll certainly reach out to them and have a conversation. And you're right, it's, uh, it's horribly violating, um, you know, and it doesn't matter, you know, what type of crime it is, but particularly, obviously, you know, violent crime. Um, you know, it's something that can scar a person and stay with them for a long, long time. Uh, and so it needs to be treated with a seriousness and an urgency. Uh, and the first order of business needs to be putting the people who are being victimized first in this process. And I know, you know, lots of conversations with our local police. Hey, they're frustrated as well. You think the police like going and arresting the same person over and over again? I mean, I've heard stories from police officers that they arrest the same person multiple times a day, uh, you know, or, or, you know, or over the course of a week. Uh, and so, I mean, I just can't imagine if I was doing that job, how frustrating that would be. Plus, they also have to answer the question, are you going to catch the person that did this? Um, and that is uh, must be a difficult conversation at times, especially with uh, someone who feels so violated, as we said. Gary in Vancouver, what are your thoughts on this, Gary? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that uh, the catch and release program is one of the reasons why my brother quit becoming uh, uh, the police force. He was fed up with sitting there at 2.30 in the morning filling out reports when mommy and daddy come and got this little jerk and took him home for the 14th time, or he arrested some guy for the 38th time. And that was it for him. He went in and he resigned. He quit. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say that I think it's about time that we got politicians, not professional politicians like Fornsworth, but somebody in politics that actually wants to do something about it. And um, I think we, we should take a close look at some of these judges, too. With this catch and release program, it sure guarantees these jokers a job for uh, perpetuating their job. And some of the sentences that, they, that these guys hand out, I'm telling you, like maybe some of them should have their heads okay. examined. I appreciate the call, Gary. Uh, you know, it, I think Gary raises a point, uh, but what sort of power do you think judges have in this, uh, Brad West? Is it the judges or the legislation that they're, uh, they're going with? Well, it's a combination. I mean, judges do have a lot of latitude, but they exist within uh, sentencing guidelines and criminal code. And and so I do think we, we need to make sure that uh, there's a, a reality check that's occurring, that uh, the people who are administering the justice system uh, are connected to the decisions that they're making and understand uh, the consequences of those on the ground in communities for uh, real people. Okay, well, let's uh, take another same, call uh, yeah. just so we can get as many yeah, of yeah. these in as possible. Uh, Dennis, Dennis in Vancouver, what do you think? Good morning. Uh, yeah, the gentleman with the catch and release thing, I got a quick story for you here. A friend of mine who was uh, a victim of robbery at gunpoint as uh, a guy I worked with, and this is about a dozen years ago, he was just walking on the street out by uh, the Strathcona Hotel. Two guys burst out of a side door of a, 
of a tenement. Uh, took him in there at gunpoint. He was smart enough. He gave okay, him quickly, his... Okay, uh, quickly, Dennis, you have about 10 seconds. Yeah, well, nevertheless, um, the one guy went and got the money out of the bank machine. The other guy stayed with the gun. He didn't realize that my friend had been a collegiate wrestler. He ended up taking the gun off okay. the guy. Sorry, Dennis, I, I think I know where you're going with these, this, and uh, this is an indication of some of the problems that we continually hear. Uh, Brad West, thank you for your time this morning. And it's Bruce Claggett in for Mike Smith this morning. I've often said real life is stranger than fiction, and there are plenty of stories to prove it. This one comes out of California, where California, yes, has given the green light to jaywalking. And could this happen here in our province? Well, here's a setup for this, and this is real. Californians will soon be able to jaywalk without getting a ticket, allowing pedestrians to informally cross streets, quote, as long as it is safe to do so, unquote. The change comes after Governor Gavin Newsom signed, and this is real, the Freedom to Walk Act. It's an actual act. He signed it. The new law, which will go into effect on January 1st, says police officers can only ticket someone jaywalking when there is an immediate day. <laughs> When there is an immediate danger of collision, collision, I guess, between the uh, pedestrian and a vehicle. Well, to talk about uh, this and the possibility of it uh, ever being considered right here in B.C. is Kyla Lee, lawyer with Acumen Law. Kyla, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Um, Is this silliness? uh, And uh, when I say silliness, I mean a governor getting involved with this, uh, making it a big deal, or does it speak to something larger? What's your take on it? I mean, I think it's a little bit silly that the governor is getting involved, but, um, you know, for a period of time, it was a crime to jaywalk in California. That might surprise a lot of people, but the way that the U.S. legal system works is things can be uh, either felonies, um, or uh, or less serious, but still criminal offenses, and jaywalking was. So creating it as a different sort of type of offense that takes the criminality away from something that is obviously not criminal is less silly when you think about it that way. But I do think that, you know, the entire idea of just getting rid of the requirement that you should only cross the street at a crosswalk has the potential for chaos. This word crime troubles me a little bit, and this coming from a guy who will be in San Francisco and San Diego in the next uh, month or so, because it's not going to come into being a law until, or an act that's passed until January 1st. When we talk about jaywalking being a crime in California, what do you mean by a crime? Uh, It's a misdemeanor offense. Um, So, you know, unlike um, Canada, where the only power to create criminal law comes from the federal government and issues related to road and highway safety are things that the provincial government has uh, exclusive jurisdiction to legislate. So they can't create criminal offenses for things like jaywalking. Um, In the United States, it can be a crime if uh, a state makes it a misdemeanor offense. And it has been up until this law comes into effect. Uh, a misdemeanor offense to commit 
it a jaywalking offense in um, California. Now, realistically, probably the majority of people who end up with a jaywalking ticket are walking out of court without a criminal conviction as a result of getting something negotiated down. Um, But uh, yeah, it is concerning. And we see criminalization of sort of common regular behavior disproportionately impacting people of color um, and people who are experiencing homelessness or who are underhoused in the United States as well as in Canada. When you talk about a misdemeanor, say the judge wants to be a total dick about this, uh, where can you actually go uh, for uh, for ultimate penalties when it is a misdemeanor? Well, that would be up to the state legislature to craft the penalty so they can create any penalty they want for any uh, felony or misdemeanor offense. Um, within the bounds of, of what the state legislature is entitled to do. So, in I mean, in theory, if they wanted to, they could create a life sentence for it. Um, that obviously we would never see somebody get a life sentence for something like that. But there are, you know, there there is great power that state legislatures have um, in the United States. Okay, so let's take this back to B.C. Um, jaywalking. Uh, I know you can't do it. Uh, I have absolutely no idea what the penalties are for jaywalking and if it's like a bylaw thing that goes from city to city or something else. Uh, How does it work in B.C.? So it's covered in two places in B.C. The Motor Vehicle Act does set out restrictions on when you are allowed to cross the street in the sense that if you're walking on the street, you have to be walking as far to the right as practicable. Um, If there's a sidewalk, you're required to be walking on the sidewalk. And that effectively functions to prohibit people from crossing in the middle of the street. There are also provisions under the Motor Vehicle Act that govern pedestrians when crossing the street um, that say that you can only cross in a marked crosswalk. Um, if a crosswalk is present or at an intersection um, when it's safe to do so. And if there's, you know, one of those flashing uh, signals, then you can cross um, when the signal indicates that it's appropriate to do so. Effectively, that functions to prohibit jaywalking. But municipalities also create bylaws that specifically prohibit jaywalking using that term. It doesn't appear in the Motor Vehicle Act, but For example, here in Vancouver, we have a jaywalking-related bylaw um, that imposes a financial penalty as a municipal offense um, for crossing the street um, in the middle of the street and not in an intersection. Enforceable? Yes, absolutely. And Vancouver Police Department does enforce jaywalking uh, laws. I have seen people outside the courthouse get ticketed for jaywalking while they're darting across the street trying to uh, avoid having to cross at the sort of longer lights that are on either side of the courthouse. So ultimately, what sort of penalty, what would you, worst case scenario, end up with in BC and uh, community? Well, let's take Vancouver for an example. Uh, What are the fines associated with this? Uh, the fines can range depending on whether you're ticketed under a municipal bylaw or whether you're ticketed under the Motor Vehicle Act, but anywhere from $15 all the way up to $109, I believe, under Motor Vehicle Act penalty. So it's enough to uh, maybe make you think twice. So this is where I come down to a Kyla Lee opinion. Is it something that should be on the books even as a bylaw in anywhere in B.C.? I do think that it makes sense to have jaywalking laws. And one thing that separates us from California is we have the public insurer. 
So, you know, when a vehicle is involved in a collision with a pedestrian, the pedestrian is uninsured. Uh, the, the vehicle driver is insured. Um, but ultimately, it's, it's the ICBC money that pays for any injuries suffered by the pedestrian. There have been lots of cases where this has been litigated. It's cost thousands of dollars and hours in court time um, trying to determine how much liability is given to a pedestrian who was jaywalking and then injured. And we all pay for that through our insurance rate. So it makes sense with our, you know, public socialized insurance system to have laws prohibiting things that are likely to lead to collisions and likely to lead to injury. Bruce Claggett in for Mike Smith. We've been talking about jaywalking, getting the green light when it comes to California starting on January 1st. Here's what ABC News reported. Jaywalking will soon be legal here in California. Governor Newsom signed the bill into law that allows people to legally jaywalk or cross outside of an intersection without being ticketed so long as it's safe to do so. The law says people can only be ticketed for jaywalking if there's an immediate danger of a crash. Maybe a safety issue in the making. I got a message from Rod. Rod also points out that California also has legal lane splitting for motorcycles, which is highly dangerous. This is when a motorcyclist can ride between two lanes to pass another vehicle. So there you go. If records speak about anything, Kyla Lee is with us from Acumen Law. Kyla, is uh, is this something that uh, you think would ever go to a green light in uh, BC, possibility of this uh, being legalized or the bylaws disappearing? I don't see it being a possibility. As long as we have sort of our focus when we create road safety laws, not being on the freedom angle that California appears to be taking, which is, I guess, the freedom to take your life into your hands, um, and instead on this notion of vision zero and reducing uh, crashes and deaths on the roadways, we're never going to change a law that's aimed clearly at a public safety issue. Okay, and your call's at 604-280-9898. Robert in Kelowna, what do you think? I think it's uh, they should keep it in, because I actually was in Edmonton. I was uh, at the Eden Center. I decided to jaywalk. There's a police officer there. He says, step into my office, which was a foyer. I got about a $90 fine. And you know what? Yeah, I deserve to get that ticket. Because there's too many people. When I was younger, I was in Winnipeg. I was with my brother and his girlfriend. And I decided to run across the street, stop at a red light. I, I froze. I got hit by a car. Got taken across the intersection. I had a concussion for about three months. I mean, I could have been killed. I mean, fine people. Put the fines up the after because you know what? People, the only way they learn is through their pocketbooks. True that, Robert. Uh, Robert, uh, calling from Kelowna. Kyla, you've heard stories about that too. Uh, people badly hurt. I mean, when it comes to those type of things, that's what laws are intended for, isn't it? It is what laws are intended for. And it's also meant to, you know, put some sort of sense of responsibility in everybody that uses the roads. We can't just expect drivers to be the only people who have a responsibility to everyone on the road. It's a collective responsibility and having laws that uh, keep pedestrians safe by putting obligations on them encourages that sense of a collective responsibility with road safety. Absolutely. Thanks, Robert. Ross in North Vancouver, what do you say? Cut me off, am I there? Yeah, that's you, Russ. Okay, yeah. So, you know, the walk sign says don't walk. So, like, why walk? I I don't get it. I think the fine should be a lot, should be up in the two to $300 range so that the, you know, police will actually take the time to 
divvy out the fines. I mean, it clearly says don't walk. You know, driving a truck, especially a big truck, and you're at a left turn, you're trying to turn, and everyone just thinks, it's, oh, it's just fine to keep walking until the light turns amber. You know, I just don't get it as a professional driver. I rate the, the heck out of me. And, you know, it's interesting when we talk about levels of fines, uh, $109, uh, that seems to me to be, eh, okay. Uh, but once you start talking about like $300, Kyla, uh, that's more of an incentive to think, no, no, not going to do it. Is that your experience when it comes to fines? It hasn't been my experience when it comes to fines. And a good example of that is the distracted driving laws in BC. We've increased the fines, we've increased the points, we've increased the consequences that are collateral to uh, the tickets, and people continue to engage in distracted driving behavior. Um, Fines don't deter people in the long term, um, but clear, consistent, and visible enforcement of the laws does have an effect. Ah, true. And I don't know the last time or if I've ever seen actual enforcement like you see it with uh with traffic violations you see uh radar you see it with uh drinking and driving you see road checks but i don't know if i've seen anything that actually is along the lines of um a check on jaywalking maybe that's just me um nick in vancouver what do you think uh, I think it's a horrible idea. I mean, it's already bad enough as it is down there in the Hastings area. If they made it like a free-for-all, um, you're going to have more people getting killed and hit and stuff like that because the marginalized and the people that are having their issues with drugs and stuff like that, they, they don't really care as it is to begin with, right? And uh, wasn't there a police officer that just ran into a guy not too long ago in Hastings? Like, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. That's interesting. Uh, Kyla, what about uh, different people are impacted differently by different rules and uh, some of the marginalized people uh, perhaps on the downtown east side uh, hitting them with a ticket for jaywalking does it have the same sort of effect Absolutely not. And it, it does have a disproportionate effect because you're taking people who are already underhoused, experiencing homelessness, who have um, significant struggles, who probably don't have an income beyond uh, social support, um, and you're, you're giving them a fine that is just beyond their means and ability to pay, and it's not going to get paid. Um, so, you know, focusing enforcement there on ticketing would be the wrong approach. Um, you know, my view would be that in those circumstances, education um, and uh, structure changes that increase the safety of the neighborhood are what are necessary as opposed to just ticketing people. All right. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. In Langley, Phil, what do you think? Oh, I think it's an absolute joke with people the way they're walking out on the streets right in front of cars. And and you're right. You were right when you said it's all laid on, on the drivers. Everything's the driver's fault. Some guy on a bike gets hit. It's the driver's fault. It's, all, it's just a crock of crap. You get two guys riding their bikes abreast of each other. We can't pass. And if we try and get into an accident, it's our fault. Yeah, I appreciate I mean, that. And, uh, and it also brings up a different road, point. Uh, thanks uh, for that, Phil. Um, when it comes to pedestrians and jaywalking, we've got something. But what about cyclists? Uh, is there anything in the law for that, uh, Kyla? There are a lot more laws related to cyclists and using the roads than there are for pedestrians. Um, Not only are there bylaws that uh, govern things like helmet rules uh, that are also set out in the Motor Vehicle Act, but we have a whole section of the Motor Vehicle Act that applies all of the rules that apply to cars to cyclists with just a few exceptions that are enumerated in the Act. So cyclists actually have an obligation to drive or ride their bikes in the same way that cars do. 
Okay, well, there you go. Thank you very much for all your calls. Uh, didn't get a chance to get to nearly enough of them. If you do have a chance, uh, give us a call on the buzz line, the buzz line 604-331-2899. My thanks to Kyla Lee. Thank you for spending some time with us, Kyla. Thanks for having me.